The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Welcome, New Covenant Community Church. Uh, thank you for all of you that are joining our live stream at this time. Uh, a great thanks to Travis and Joseph for being here to run our equipment and to make sure that everything is working properly. Uh, we're glad that you're here. I certainly hope that in your homes that you would grab a Bible, as you'll certainly need one today. Uh, before we get into it, though, uh, I will start us off in prayer in just a moment, but just a few announcements before uh, before we get any further, just to take a note of these announcements, uh, please remember our Love Your Neighbor campaign during these weeks. Uh, many of you have seen this posted on our website, on our social media platforms, and through our email system. Uh, all this campaign is is simply uh, the recognition that we're spreading this out to our community and the surrounding areas of Alexandria, uh, Johnstown, Mount Vernon, and some of the other areas. Uh, to let people know that if they are considered high risk, uh, being elderly, or if they have a chronic health issue, uh, and it would be dangerous for them to get out and go grocery shopping or run errands or whatever it is that they need to do, uh, if you cannot care for them yourself, which is certainly what we want to do during this time, to be the hands and feet of Christ, but if you cannot care for them yourself, if you are sick, sick yourself or cannot get out yourself, have them call the church office. And we will deputize the low-risk people among us to make sure that our church family and our community gets through this time uh, safely. Uh, another thing I'll say just to mention is please remember that all of our in-person uh, in uh, services and activities, all those things that we have, have all been postponed. Uh, and we will continue for the next following weeks to meet in this online way, whether it's uh, by the podcast that you're listening to later, later the live stream that you're joining in now. Uh, and we will continue this until a later date. We do not want to put a date to our actual getting back together again, simply because we don't know how long this virus is going to continue spread through, to spread through Ohio. Uh, and we want to be on top of it as the weeks come. So please watch the avenues through which we'll be communicating when we will all be meeting back in person again. Uh, the other thing I'll say before I pray and we really get into today's service is uh, these are very difficult decisions to make as a pastor when it comes to determining whether or not to cancel service. Uh, just to let all of you know, the decision that we made uh, was wrought in hours, and I mean hours, of prayer, of collaborating with the elders and the leadership of New Covenant Community Church, and take into consideration that uh, a number of people in our church would be considered high risk if they were to uh, get this illness. Uh, and, and certainly, I just want to, just to calm anyone's concerns, fear was not a part of making this decision. Fear not at all was part of making this decision. Uh, Jesus, when the crowds became dangerous, slipped through the crowds and slipped away. Was Jesus being fearful when he did that? And I believe that the biblical and logical answer that there is there is no. He was simply being wise because the crowds at the time had become dangerous. Uh, so th this type of decision has been made through many hours of prayer, many hours of research. Uh, and we hope that uh, in these times where 
there will be people that feel as though we should continue services and there will be people that feel as though this was the right decision to make please understand that these are difficult decisions to make none of them have been made in fear and none of them have been made uh, without much collaboration and much prayer and speaking of prayer i hope that you would join me in your homes right now uh, as we go to the lord uh, father we love you and god i'm thankful that we live in a day and age where we have uh, equipment and cameras and live streaming and the, the avenues through which we have to be able to gather in this way. Uh, God, I'm thankful for those. I'm thankful that we can use those types of things. Uh, God, would you bless our time together? Uh, God, would you bless this time as this virus spreads across our state? God, let us see this as an opportunity to love our neighbors to call them, to check on them. Uh, Father, I think if each of us were very honest, we would realize in our heart that loving our neighbors, the people that actually live near us, that loving them and caring for them is probably something that all of us have done a very poor job of. So God, I, help, I pray that you would help us to redeem uh, our disobedience and our lack of caring for them in this time. Thank you for the invite that you have given to us. In this time where life has to slow down, thank you that you have allowed us an opportunity to be the church, to be your hands and feet, and to show the world that is so very scared uh, how much grace and how much peace there is in being your child. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And you can all say amen in your living rooms. If you have a Bible, and I certainly hope that you do in your home, uh, go get it if you don't already have it. And when you have it, go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, this can be a difficult book to find. If you're not familiar with your Bible, it can sometimes be easier to go backwards from Revelation to Jude, 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, 2nd Peter, 1st Peter. And while you're digging your way there, I already have my Bible turned there, so I'll give you a moment to make sure that you're there in your Bibles. And while you're going there, I'll tell you something that you may or may not have known. Uh, if you take an oyster... You probably didn't expect for me to start today's sermon that way. But if you take an oyster and it has a piece of sand, a grain of sand lodged on the inside of its shell, uh, that oyster will become irritated. And though it may try to get the piece of lodged sand out from the inside of its shell, uh, if it's unsuccessful, it will continue to be irritated and then it will begin to cover this grain of sand with a hard type of material layer after layer after layer and after so long of being irritated eventually it will produce what you and i know to be a pearl something that's very precious and what we know is that the same god who designed oysters to be irritated and then to produce a pearl uh, is the same god who produced christians who made christians such that when we are irritated such that when we suffer that we produce something beautiful as well the book of 1 Peter, as we've studied before, we know, uh, was first read by Christians in the year 64 A.D. Now those Christians had sand, or challenges, if you will. We know that the emperor at that time was Nero, who hated Christians. The Christians were blamed for the fires in Rome. They were persecuted, persecuted greatly. Their meetings, their church meetings were hindered from meeting together in the way they normally did. And we know, too, that the church in the year 2020 also has some sand or some challenges. 
We have political upheaval in our land. We have division in our world like we've never seen before. Uh, abortions running rampant throughout our nation, throughout our world. The war on biblical, the biblical definition of marriage, predominantly from the LGBTQ movement. Uh, we too have hindered meetings as all of us are experiencing this morning. Uh, we have sand. We have challenges the same way. So the question on the table this morning is what do we do with the sand? What do we do as Christians with the suffering that comes our way? If it were not for irritated oysters, it would not be for pearls. If it were not for Christian suffering, it would not be for blank. And that blank is what I hope to be able to fill in as we go through today's sermon. So 1 Peter chapter 4, I hope you're already there. Look now to verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now, uh, that portion of Scripture sounds really normal. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial that it, which is to try you. That, that all sounds very normal to us until you look at verse 13 that we've already read, which says, but rejoice. We are to rejoice in this fiery trial that is to come to us in the sand and in the challenges that are to come to Christians to the extent which we partake of Christ's sufferings. That doesn't sound normal to us to rejoice at issues and trials and difficulty. And, and all to be plain, it, it, is the, it is the unsaved person's perspective. It is the natural, humanistic way of thinking that suffering and trials are pointless. And that the chief goal of trials and suffering is simply to see their end. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, who is no longer on the earth living anymore, uh, the famous, as many of you will know him, as being the famous atheist, uh, arguably even a, a hater of God and a, a debater of Christians and, and a, a disprover of Scripture, so-called. Uh, he was quoted saying this when it was found that cancer was in his body and would likely be the cause of his death. He said this, quote, I'm here as a product of process of evolution, which doesn't make very many exceptions, and which rates life relatively cheaply. I mean, most human beings who've ever been born would have been dead long before they reached my age. So to be relatively healthy at 62 is to be dealt a pretty good hand by the cosmos, which does not know I'm here and won't notice when I'm gone. End of quote. Church, let me ask you a question there sitting in your living rooms at home. Uh, what do you call an irritated oyster that does not produce a pearl? An irritated oyster. Uh, what do you get when you have an irritated unbeliever that doesn't produce anything and they see no point in the suffering and it's just simply a pointless thing that they want to see the end of? What do you call that person? An irritated unbeliever. It's pointless. It doesn't mean anything. Now, if you were to contrast that with Christian 
suffering. And if you're all sitting in this room, which I certainly hope that very shortly we'll be able to have a room full of people like we have, uh, I would ask you all to say amen at that. But when we contrast Christian suffering, what the Bible says now, look back to your Bible, it says rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Now, what I'll say there is, is to make a note that the goal scripturally what we see here is not simply to suffer that's not the chief end and the goal to suffer Uh, i've even known of some people not personally but i've heard of people of people that are quote-unquote christians who will simply put their body in inflicting painful situations simply because they think that's the end that that will that will somehow appease god Uh, to the extreme that i've even heard of people actually crucifying their own bodies on a cross simply because they think that they are to rejoice in that suffering to the extent that Christ suffered which was dying on a cross and therefore they crucify themselves and just to be clear that type of person does not know God they do not know the love and the mercy and the grace of God's redeeming love the goal however the truthful biblical interpretation that i think is for you and me today and even this morning is that we are to rejoice in the suffering that comes our way as christians for the purpose of becoming more like jesus we suffer to the extent that christ suffered to be more like him so that when we suffer temptation and we're battling temptation we we allow that to have its work in our lives such that it changes us and then we know how to battle temptation like jesus did which was with scripture when we're mocked for our faith and people don't understand why we do or don't do certain things we know how to endure that and not revile in return but to take it patiently and to love our enemies we learn how to be christ-like in those things with those trials that come our way the physical challenges that many of you have that i will have someday should i not die quickly as a young man the physical challenges that we face as believers we trust god in those things and if god gives us cancer and if that would be the means of our death then we would just trust that god would take care of us and people scratch their head and they wonder why why are you trusting god god could have stopped you from having cancer why is it that you still trust god in those physical challenges jesus had physical challenges when he was being beaten and crucified he had physical challenges in those ways and when we become like christ in those sufferings and those fiery trials that we ought not to be thinking that some strange thing has come upon us but when those things come our way we allow it to have its work we allow our irritation to produce something beautiful which is a christ likeness and here's the reason why look back to your bible it says that or so that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. When His glory is revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. And you say, Pastor Men, okay, we're following you. We're to rejoice in the suffering that comes our way that will make us more like Christ. It will build our character. It will bring glory to God. And, and we'll have joy at the end of those things when His glory is revealed. When is it that God's glory is revealed? Uh, two main interpretations that I'll give you Uh, I tend to favor the first. And the first is simply that God's glory is revealed when He returns. So here's what that looks like. A Christian has suffered persecution for being a Christian, which we all will if we're actually true believers, that we're walking faithfully before God. We're allowing the sufferings and the trials to have its 
proper work in our life to bring glory to God, and it builds us, makes us more like Jesus. When God's glory returns and Jesus returns, we can stand there faithfully with our arms lifted high, praising God that His glory is coming, knowing that we have been changed and chastised by these, by these great works of God in our life. The second interpretation is that God's glory is revealed simply at the end of our momentary suffering on earth through the different trials that God brings us through. I think of the, the Israelites and the great exodus out of Egypt. When they got through that situation, they were able to look back on their life and say, there was my God, and there was my God, and God parted the Red Sea, and God brought the plagues, and, and God brought us through this amazingly difficult situation his glory was revealed at the end of that and and undoubtedly when we get through those types of things when we get through very challenging trials and things in our jobs and in difficult relationships and whatever it is that we face we get through that and we look back on the great mercy of God and his great glory that has been revealed to us through those difficult trials sometimes but the thing that we get from all of this is that Christian suffering ends an exceeding joy. Christian suffering ends in exceeding joy. Regardless of how God's glory is revealed, when it is revealed in God's timing and how He chooses, we will have exceeding joy when our suffering ends as a Christian. A properly irritated oyster produces beautiful pearls. A properly irritated Christian produces wonderful things in their life, becoming more like Christ and exceeding joy at the end of our suffering. There was a boy who was born, and as a toddler, it became very evident that his legs were not growing properly. So the parents took him to the doctor, and it was determined that he needed these special kind of casts to be put on his legs at night. And, and every night, the parents would place these casts on the boy's legs to hold his legs in a certain position so that his legs could start to grow straight. And the end result, goal, was that if this therapy was successful, that his legs would grow properly, he'd be able to run. He'd be totally whole as, a, as an adult and not have any issues with his legs that were currently uh, setting him up to be crippled someday. And every night the boy would cry, this young toddler would cry because it was a painful process. It was a painful process the boy had to go through with his cast being put on. And the parents inflicted the pain on the boy. They were the ones that had to put his legs in these devices so that his legs could grow straight. But lo and behold, this irritation had its proper work. And eventually that boy grew up into a man who was able to run marathons without any issues in his legs whatsoever because of the proper irritation his joy came at the end of his suffering now if you would look to verse 14 it says if you are reproached for the name of christ and i hope you have a bible in front of you because I'll, i will insert my own words as we go through this portion of text if you are reproached for the name of christ when you're battling temptation with god's word when you're enduring mockery from people that see your Christian life, when you're trusting God in your physical difficulties, when you're trusting God in those things, the Bible says, Blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
On their part, He is blasphemed. But on your part, He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So the second thing that we see from this text is that Christian suffering is never wasted. I'll say that again. Christian suffering, underline the word Christian, Christian suffering is never wasted. It's glory producing both in the believer and to God. I think of Job when he was inflicted with all kinds of trials and losing everything. And, and you have this moment in the book of Job when it almost appears as though all of heaven and hell are watching and all of his friends and everyone that's around him, they've seen Job completely stricken with all of these terrible things and everybody's watching and Job says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His suffering was turned into worship. His suffering was not wasted. It was not. Now, please make the distinction. If you look at verse 15, I'll say this, that not just any suffering is glory producing. We know that when the Christian suffers, that when, when we are reproached for the name of Christ, when we are Christ's followers and we're reproached for that, the Bible says that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds wonderful and I believe it, that the spirit of glory and of God would rest upon us. That it, God is glorified. God is glorified in these matters. Uh, but look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer. Suffering is not the goal, the Bible says. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. It's not God's will, church, that we suffer and that God change us through wicked acts. In other words, it is never, never, never God's will that we would commit a wicked act. Now, can God redeem wicked acts and use them for the glory of God? Yes. Was God able to take Paul's wicked disobedience and being a willful participant in the stoning of Stephen, was God able to use those things and then change Paul around into a wonderful preacher of God's Word? Yes, God can redeem those things. But what this Scripture is telling us is that it is not God's will for us to suffer and to be changed and glorify God through evil works. Now, I can remember uh, ministering to a young man, and I say young man, he was, I think, a couple years older than me, but I guess that would still be a young man. He was a man about my age, uh, and his mother had called me because this man, her son, had overdosed on drugs, and it had not killed him, uh, very close to killing him, but it did not kill him. And his mother wanted me to come in and minister to him. And I thought, okay, so I, I go to the hospital, I walk in the room, and, and this man, who I've never met before, is laying on the hospital bed, and he's awake, he's completely coherent, he, he, was, he was not killed, he was, his mind was fresh enough at this point, after it was been a, quite a few hours after this drug incident. And, uh, and, and his mother goes in, to the other end of the hospital room to talk to this man's young children, and there I am, standing with this man laying on this hospital bed who I'm supposed to minister to. 
And the moment I walked in the door, it became very clear to me that he did not want me there. I could see it in his eyes. I could, I could tell by the lack of his response to my questions. It became very clear he did not want me there. But I'm standing there, and I try my very best. I did my very best. I'm praying quietly in my heart, and I'm, I'm asking him questions, trying to draw him out, trying to ask about his spiritual life, trying to give him anything that I could do to at all possibly anything I could absolutely do to help him I would have loved to do that but it became very clear very quickly that he did not want me there and and once I decided that I had done everything that I could do and my presence further was simply going to annoy him and I knew that it was time for me to leave I, I wanted to get his attention one last time and I snapped my finger and said hey listen to me look at me at least once and I looked at him and I said don't let this suffering be wasted God has given you a merciful chance. Don't let this time be wasted. And I turned around and left. And uh, sadly, uh, that suffering was wasted. It was just a number of weeks later that he overdosed to the point that it did kill his body. Church, it is never God's will that we commit evil acts. It is God's will that when he brings Christian suffering, that we let it have its proper work in us to let it change us to let us let it make us more christ-like you know i think it would be a terrible shame uh, for this challenge in our culture right now called the coronavirus if we were to allow this irritating piece of sand to get away without it having first done its perfect work and what do i mean by its perfect work what i mean is that i believe god is just perhaps giving every christian in america an invite to love your neighbor in this time when people are home from work children are home from school god i believe is giving us an opportunity as the church to be salt and light in a way that perhaps we have never had before and quite frankly, as I prayed earlier, I believe that many of us do a very, very poor job of this. So let us seize the day, church. Let us seize this moment. Let us take this irritating piece of sand that's messed up our work schedules and messed up our church meetings and then all these things. Let us continue to cover that grain of sand with something beautiful. Let us call our neighbors. Let us check on them. Call every senior person that lives on your street. Ensure that they're doing all right. Offer to go, if you're a young, healthy, low-risk individual, offer to go to the grocery store for them. Run whatever errands they need. Take care of the outside of their house. Do what it is that we can do to love on our neighbors god has given us a great opportunity let us not lose this moment church let us not see this suffering as simply something that's pointless uh, christian suffering is never ever wasted now if you look to verse 17 and this is a very difficult piece of text uh, but i'll go through it with the holy spirit's help as best i know how Verse 17, it says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful creator now we've we've seen from the first part of the text which bleeds into this of uh, this theme of god's children being properly changed 
and properly sanctified by these trials that come our way. Now, if we read that with that same thinking, I'll go back through it with me in injecting some of my own words here. The Bible says, For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. Okay, The time has come for God's children to have grains of sand in their shell, if you will. To be properly irritated and to produce sanctification and built character and glory to God. That time has come in the house of God, in God's house, among God's children. The Bible says, and if it begins with us first, where will the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Okay? In other words, if the child of God is formed into being like Jesus through trials, through difficult trials that we will all admit sometimes are difficult, where will the unbeliever be? Okay, and then it quotes a scripture out of Proverbs where it says, basically re repeating the same thing. If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? So here's what I believe this, among many things, there's so much juice in this wonderful gospel grape that we could squeeze out of this this morning. But here's what I believe that the Holy Spirit would have us know out of His Word this morning. Is that Christian suffering proves our citizenship in God's kingdom. Christian suffering proves our citizenship and God's kingdom. And you say, Pastor Ben, how did you come to that conclusion out of that text? And here's why I come to that conclusion out of that text. is because if you show me someone who actually cares about their life having the fragrance of Jesus on it, you show me someone who's glad at the revealed glory of God, you show me someone who is reproach for the name of Christ who actually has a life that's that's changed to the point where people notice you show me that kind of person you show me someone who battles temptation with God's word who endures mockery who trusts the Lord Jesus Christ in every physical challenge that comes their way you show me someone who does those things and I'll show you a redeemed child of God these trials, these things that come our way, these things that come upon God's children that are meant to mold us and shape us and make us more like Jesus, they don't come to everyone. They come to God's children. Uh, when a Jewish psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl by his name, uh, was arrested by Nazis in the World War II, uh, he was stripped of everything that he owned. Uh, property, family, possessions, he had spent years researching and writing on the importance of finding meaning in life. Uh, this concept would later be known as logotherapy. Uh, when he arrived in Auschwitz, the infamous death camp, as many know it by, uh, even his manuscript, which he had hidden, and the inside lining of his coat was taken away from him. He was quoted saying this, he said, quote, I had to undergo and overcome the loss of my spiritual child, this book that he had been writing. He says, Now it seemed as if nothing and no one could survive me, neither a physical nor a spiritual child, nor this piece of work that he had created. He said, I found myself confronted with the question of whether under such circumstances my life was ultimately void of any meaning. Uh, he was still wrestling when this, with this question. A few days later, when the Nazis had forced the prisoners to give up their clothing, he was quoted saying this, he says, I had to surrender my clothes and in turn inherited a worn out set of rags that an inmate had been given from an inmate that had already gone to the gas chamber, said Frankel. Instead, 
of the many pages of my manuscript that he had hidden in the inside lining of his coat, he found in the pocket of the newly acquired coat a single page on which was written Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. He said, quote, How should I have interpreted, interpreted the co a coincidence other than as a challenge to live my thoughts instead of merely putting them on paper? Later, Frankel ref reflected on his ordeal, and he wrote in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he said, quote, There is nothing in the world that would so effectively help one to survive even the worst conditions as the knowledge that there is a meaning in one's life. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. And church, can I just encourage you, sitting in your living room at, living room at home, that we as God's children have the greatest why to live for. The God who loves the creation that He made, the creation that rebelled against Him, would suffer and bleed and die on a cross for me and for you. And not only does He leave us alone, He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He guides us like a good parent, like a good father, like a good shepherd. The Spirit of glory and of God rests on us when trials come our way and we glorify God and we build ourselves up in our character and our ability to say no to temptations and, and the, it's proof that we have citizenship in God's kingdom. Proverbs 3 verse 12 says, For whom the Lord loves, He corrects, just as the Father, the Son in whom He delights. A church in this time, in our culture today, we have no reason to fear. It's an irritating piece of sand inside the shell that I believe God has intended to make something beautiful out of. But my prayer for you and for me is that we do not miss this moment. We do not see the irritating pieces of sand and challenges and suffering in life as simply pointless, frivolous things that we just seek the end of. No, let us seek what God intends to do in us and through us, through the trials that we face in our lives as Christians, in the culture as a whole, and let us follow Jesus the entire way. Uh, let me pray for us as we pray in our homes and wherever it is that you are listening to this sermon. Uh, God, you're a wonderful, you're a wonderful king, God. And we would be so foolish we would be so foolish, God, to think that this coronavirus and any future challenge that will come, to think that, that you're not using those things for your glory, that you're not redeeming those things, that, God, those things are not pointless. None of these things have happened by accident, God. You're sovereign, you're great, and you're mighty. So, Father, as, as your children... Jesus, as the, as the flock of your field, with you being our shepherd, as we follow you, God, would you show us how to use these things? Would you show, what, show us what it is that you're doing? 
Would you make us obedient to love our neighbor in these times? Would you make us obedient to love one another, God? Father, we love you. Thank you for the redeeming gift of grace that you give freely. One that we could not earn. One that we could not work for. But one that you give as a gift. So that no one could ever possibly boast in their goodness and greatness. But Lord, all we can do is turn these struggles into praise and into prayer. And to recognize that it is you, God. It is you at the end of the day that is sovereign. It is you at the end of the day that we trust. We trust you, God. And we worship you in these times. We love you, Jesus. In your great and holy name, we do say as a church in our homes, we say amen and amen. Uh, God bless you today. I've been on the phone with uh, many of you, countless hours over the past week. I look forward to another week of, of ministering to you in that way, uh, taking care of each other as best we know how in this time. Uh, we look forward to joining in again next week at the same time with this live stream. Again, please uh, be vigilant of the ways through which we'll communicate when we will all meet back together. Uh, I hope and foresee that this virus scare will be over soon. But should it not be, we will remain faithful, we will remain fearless, and we will remain loving each other and our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you all as you have uh, a wonderful day at home with your families. God bless you.